There is nothing wrong with your internet. Do not attempt to adjust your settings. We are controlling the podcast. We control the squealing and the screams. We can make your heart flutter, your eyes blur from tears, or sharpen your mind to crystal clarity. For the next hour, sit back. We are in control of what you hear. We repeat, there is nothing wrong with your settings. You are about to experience the awe and mystery known as the female mind. You are now entering the Fangirl Zone. Rarely going where no one has gone before. Welcome to the Captain's Chair, a Star Trek Lower Decks podcast on the Fangirl Zone. I am Redshirt Dave, and joining me on this mission into the unknown is... I'm Sean Fangirl S. And I'm Chief Engineer Steve, and today we'll be discussing Episode 1 of Season 3 of Star Trek Lower Decks. Hey, I'm so happy this is back. Yes. Fanfare. <laughs> so, we're all big fans of this show. Yeah, so Sean started giving us her feelings right away, so please ex- expound on them, Sean. Okay, so I said previously, this has been my palate cleanser for so long for the week, and so when this came back, starting right back up and i love it because it's just fun and there's no super serious and not exactly sad although there was a little sad moment for a moment in this one but it's still it's great it's just campy and funny and i love this show so it's like it needs to keep going and going and going (laughs) i mean there's so much weird stuff they can do but it got a little serious towards the end but i did enjoy it and i am giving it like all my thumbs up I only have two, but <laughs> I, two. I'm going to add some more. I'm yeah. going to add some more thumbs. I'll go collect some. I'll be back. Hang on. <laughs> what about you, Chief Engineer Steve? Oh, yeah. It's so good to have our lower deckers back. But I have a feeling that this season's going to be a little bit different. Why? Well, for one, you know, we normally it's the lower deckers trying to save the day. And they usually somehow accomplish it, be it buffoonery or not yeah and the way this episode twisted there at the end yeah kind of makes me think yeah we're gonna see a little bit of difference in how this season goes this may be a little more star trek instead of goofball lower decks even though i do believe the lower deckers are still going to be involved but it'll be interesting to see because of course now ransom's in charge of Mariner yeah. and whether or not she gets to stay in Starfleet. Oh, he's going to so, punish her. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, and Mariner and company are trying to save her mom. And no, Starfleet actually had it all taken care of, which we hadn't really seen that much of before. The only other time we really had Starfleet coming in to save today was when Riker and Titan showed up. So, yeah, so yeah this one might be, you know, we might see a little change in. And how they do things this season. And I'm kind of looking forward to it. I don't know. Do you want to mess with a good thing? Yes, I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know we're not rating this. But if we were, uh, I was actually going to rate it like two out of five. But I, I after the second viewing, I'm, I'm up to the three out of five alien sploof shots. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, gosh, maybe I sense the same thing about direction that Steve did. And, and that chief engineer, Steve, sorry. And I uh, maybe I didn't like it. Maybe that's what I had a problem with. Like, where are they going? Right. I don't know. Yeah, maybe they do need, I mean, they, they've referenced so much 
Star Trek yes, history. They did. And make fun of it all the time. Maybe they're afraid of wearing it out. Uh, I guess we'll see. Now I'm worried, but yeah. I'm worried it's going to happen. But we know we are getting a crossover. Yeah. Yes. With Strange New World. Strange New World. Strange yes. New World. And it's going to be live action. So our crew is going to be live action. Or at the very least, Boimler and Mariner. Because right. they were on stage at Comic-Con talking about it. But what I want to know is, are we going to get the cast of Strange New World in animated form? Speaking <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, I want to see this. And I admit, I do not watch Strange New World. The guys are on that one. I think I need to watch it just so I can be ready when the crossover happens. Yes, you yes. better. Should. <laughs> <laughs> It'll, it'll be uh, interesting to see what uh, Pike looks like as a two, two-dimensional type of character. Right. <laughs> <laughs> what he'll do to his Pike's peak. Oh, God. All right. Oh, he'll, he'll look a lot like Boimler. <laughs> yeah. I was like, wait, the hair, I know who it is. So I'm like, the hair is pretty similar. Yeah. Just smooth it over the edge so it's Riker-esque. What does this do to the timeline for Lower Decks? Where are they in the timeline? Aren't they, they're, they're post-Kirk, right? I thought they were. Oh, yeah. They're definitely post-Kirk. And I thought they were running in the same timeline as Picard, though, right? Yeah, I thought it was Discovery. Lower Deck? Or yeah. Strange yeah. New yeah. World? Lower Decks is pre-Picard. Pre-Picard? Yes, because Riker was younger and still commander of a ship. Right, yeah, had to type. Because when we oh. saw him in season one of Picard, he was semi-retired. Yeah. Right, but in Lower Decks, he was captain of the ship. But is, the doesn't he get that captaincy after he leaves Enterprise? Yes, I believe so. Yeah, but you said Picard, not Enterprise. Or not... Well, it's the same world. Okay, you're killing me here. You're killing me. (laughs) (laughs) I'll research it. Let's move on. Okay. Okay, Moving on, moving on. Recap for episode one, Grounded. Mariner enlists her friends on a rogue mission to exonerate her mother as Captain Freeman faces a military tribunal for the destruction of Paclid Planet. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) It's so dramatic. Yes, and we open with an... FNN News Bulletin hosted by Sylvia Ront as updates us on the situation as it stands in the wake of the elements of the Lower Deck Season 2 finale, First First Contact. Captain Carol Freeman has been accused of detonating a bomb in the Packlet capital city, Big Strong City. The Cerritos remains impounded in space dock. Video footage shows three members of Freeman's command crew, Ransom Shacks and Tiana, being bombarded with questions by reporters. Finally, Rott reveals new footage that appears to place Freeman on the ground on Packard Planet at the time the bombing occurred. She then notes that a swarm of incandescent aliens will be illuminating Earth's sky the next day. For the newscast can continue, a potted plant shatters the screen. Admiral Freeman reminds his daughter that screens can just be turned off. You see several other TV screens yeah. shattered. <laughs> You'd think that they would have better protection right. at this point. Like, like it wouldn't just break if you threw something at it. I yeah. don't know. They're in the Admiral's San Francisco apartment. Mariner angrily states that everyone is acting like it's a foregone conclusion that her mother is guilty. The Admiral tells her to trust in the system, but Mariner is unconvinced. After arguing over the Golden Gate Bridge, they're interrupted by a transmission from Admiral Buenamigo. Mariner refers to him as Uncle S. Buenamigo says he has bad news and informs Mariner and the Admiral that the judge assigned to Carol's case 
is an individual Mariner identifies as that planet's rights lunatic. That doesn't sound good at all. No. The Admiral again says Mariner should trust the Starfleet, but Mariner storms out. I love the Golden Gate Bridge argument. That was I thought awesome. that was pretty funny, too. Because it's like you don't think about it, but then you see like the kind of the ships above it. It's like, oh, yeah, no. <laughs> don't have any cars. And I love I love the ahead. thing, though, too, with um, the Buen Amigo when he's like, why do you still have breakable stuff? Yeah, in your house? yes. <laughs> needs to be received in a rubber room. (laughs) So here's a quick explainer before I get on to nothing but Earth and vineyards. So here's the easy answer to the Lower Decks chronology question. The series takes place in 2380, which is one year after Nemesis, and two years after Voyager returned to Earth. It's also five years prior to the earliest flashbacks in Star Trek Picard. That helps. Meaning the synth revolt on Mars and the run on Supernova in 2387 is all a relatively near future. Lower Decks also takes place five years after the end of the Dominion War, which could indicate that Starfleet and the Federation are experiencing a period of rebirth and renewal. In other words, Lower Decks is sandwiched in a stable period between in the Trek uh, timeline. There are no major wars, and the majority of the superpowers in the Alpha and Beta quadrants are behaving the way you remember them in TNG and DS9. If anything, maybe a little calmer. Right. They are. <laughs> so far. <laughs> Except for them piss Pathway. <laughs> <laughs> Did they invent Paclovid? <laughs> Oh, my God. <laughs> Weakest pack of joke of the day. So, anyway, nothing on Earth but vineyards, I know. When I first saw that, I go, what's he working in? Picard Vineyard or something? Yes. I was thinking that, too. Yeah. Wunder's not enjoying his time on the family vineyard. Mariner explains the situation with her mom, and Boimler immediately agrees to join her at clearing the captain's name. He explains that he's desperate to leave Earth, and he's an idiot, by the way, which he detests due to his family's <laughs> raising farm. He's really over-raising this. After fending off advances from several farmhands, Boimler posits that his log could be used to clear the uh, Freeman's name. Yeah, you're thinking of the wrong log there, dummy. Yeah. Although the Cerritos <laughs> logs were corrupted by the Leparian debris field in the first first contact, Bradward keeps crazed details record. Mariner concocts a plan to use the pads to clear the captain's name. But they need someone with engineering expertise to figure out which space dock the Cerritos is located. The duo heads off to find Rutherford. I didn't know she had so many uh, nicknames for Rutherford, too. Yeah. <laughs> Ruthie, Ruthie, the Ruthie needer. <laughs> I was dying with the whole vineyard thing with all oh, the, yeah. the girls. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, we were rolling, watching. It's like, oh, my God, I need somebody to help me wash this off. Like, just use the hoe. Take me back to that private shed. <laughs> yeah. I wow. really wanted Mariner to, like, be side-eyeing all these, like, the heck you know yeah. <laughs> but like there was nothing and that would have been perfect because we know how mariner feels about boimler that like he's just this huge dork that nobody wants to like date and like okay they're friends but like i feel like she should be looking at these girls and be like dude do you even see what's happening right <laughs> do you know who you're dealing with like no no boimler is all starfleet and i'm gonna live and die on the ship and that's about it so let's hit a soul food restaurant shall we at cisco's creole kitchen oh huh i wonder who that's named after yeah rutherford is sharing a meal with tendy while fnn plays on the screen behind them the pair discuss possible earth adventures i love how everybody else is mad that they're on earth except these two right <laughs> Rutherford suggests that they visit historical Bozeman, Montana. That just sounds boring. But the site of the first contact with the Vulcans, the Star Trek first contact, if you have questions. Tendi ex- explains that she was so focused on her studies at Starfleet that she never left San Fran. 
they are interrupted by an FNN news bulletin reporting that the Packwood bombing trial has begun. Tendi and Rutherford lament about the situation and wonder how Mariner's taking it. And hey, guess what? They're interrupted by Mariner's carefully timed entrance. I love that. <laughs> because we, were you waiting there for him? No. And then Boimler comes out, out. Yeah, with his drink. I mean, yeah, he was there long enough to get a drink at least. Yeah. Well, that was just funny. But then the four of them sit down and they decide to share a meal as they're talking. And I love Bradward uses a dash of Oh, I don't even know what that was. Ketrosel white hot hot sauce and spends the rest of the scene gasping for air, sweating. <laughs> in just a drop. It was. Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah. Was it even a full, like, dash of it? <laughs> it was like... Yeah, it was like half the bottle. <laughs> I think we've all no. done that in our lives. I, I thought he only <laughs> put in, like, one drop and then Mariner was, like, putting a ton in and she's like, <laughs> yeah. oh, that's didn't good. Didn't bother her at all. Yeah. yeah didn't bother her, like, yeah. Oh, my God. Like, I'm thinking, oh, that's probably really bad. <laughs> that's yeah. probably really hot. I don't do spicy, so I, I'm with you over there, Boyma. But Mariner convinces Tendi and Rutherford to join her plan. Fortunately, Rutherford got a glance at the 19-digit coordinates where the Cerritos is located. However, they can only reach it via an encrypted transporter at a secure compound, which I'm sure that's going to go over great. Yes, <laughs> I'm sure it will. So in order to reach the encrypted transporter, they'll have to sneak past the reportedly intimidating transporter chief at the transporter facility. When the lower deckers enter the facility, they're greeted by a kindly old gentleman, Chief Carlton Denny Dennis. The lower deckers pose as Starfleet Academy students and say they've come to learn about the transporter. Each decker barks at the idea of knocking Denny unconscious. Denny says he only gets visitors when they are trying to knock him out and use one of his restricted transporters. As he turns his phaser on our heroes, they all burst into tears. To comfort them, Denny makes the lower deckers some soup. Jesus. Yeah. Denny <laughs> was just hilarious. He's even sympathetic to their plight. He's been following Freeman's trial and doesn't believe she's guilty. But there's a catch. Because of the cloud of aliens, the transporters won't function for surface-to-space beaming. Tendi laments failing to save the captain and failing to visit Bozeman. Denny notes that she would have loved it there, citing the Phoenix First Flight Orbital Experience. This gives Mariner an idea. While Denny can't transport them to space, what about Montana? That's quite a stretch in plans there. We'll just steal one when we get there. Yeah. yeah. Bozeman is now the site of a California adventure-style theme park celebrating first contact. I'd go there. There are lots of lower <laughs> deck-style Easter eggs, including thirst contact and balloons shaped like the Phoenix Enterprise and Defiant. Tendi and Rutherford are overloaded with excitement and already have themed hats. I know. The whole sequence features the, the Jerry Goldsmith score from first contact, but Mariner tells them that they came for the for the Ride the Phoenix experience in the line from the Phoenix Ride, Tendi and Rutherford finish their churros at the behest of the recording of Zephyrin Cochran. I wonder if you really can get a Zephyrin Cochran hat. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. We'll have to check that out. Boimler expresses skepticism about the potential of the plan, but Mariner says a ship is a ship. Once Rutherford overrides it, what's the difference? Four lower deckers enter the cockpit and strap themselves in, but soon they're joined by a fifth single rider, Gavin. Boimler tries to get rid of him, but Gavin says the operator told him to ship number five on a hologram of Cochrane appears and reenacts the theme park version of Phoenix Speech. This also includes the recording of Magic Carpet Ride, which was awesome. Yes, it was. Everyone but Gavin 
has a great time as the ship launches into Earth orbit. Rutherford gets out of his seat and rewires the console, and then he puts in the dry dock coordinates. I love that whole scene. And when they're oh, like, yeah. oh, look, the famous one-song jukebox bar. It's like, yes! Yeah. <laughs> what? Oh, my gosh. In the Vulcan yeah. ship playground. Yeah. That I was think just Spock would say hilarious. interesting to that, or fascinating. Yes. <laughs> I just thought it was funny. And then, yeah, just throwing in Gavin. It's like, yeah. is this still past warp one? Because I don't do so well. I'm like, oh, God, do they have puke bags in there? Yes. <laughs> this could be really gross really fast. Anyway, one warp later, the Cerritos appears on the view screen, still stripped down after first first contact. The Phoenix ride docks with the Cerritos, and the lower deckers disembark. I love this part, because Rutherford offers to send Gavin back to Earth, but he wants to take the ship and explore the galaxy. And Rutherford <laughs> and Mariner respect Gavin's decision because he is no longer a botanist. He is Captain Gavin. It's like, ugh, this could only end well. <laughs> right. You should have just given him a Vulcan pinch right there and said, that's enjoy your nap. Yeah. Like, I her. was... When you see the ship pull away and it, it's yeah. kind of like going all loopy, I swear I thought it was going to explode. <laughs> and they would have just been like, ooh, okay. I didn't yeah. know. <laughs> Many doors on board of the Cerritos are sealed with caution tape. Big surprise. The lower deckers hurry to the hallway quarters where Boimler quickly locates his pads. Oh, see, that's what's good with them not actually being in a room because they don't have to remove the caution tape. Right. And possibly set off an alarm. But they're still in a freaking hallway. I mean, it just seems so, ugh, I feel bad. Anyway, but Mariner despairs when she learns that the logs are filled with embarrassing statements made by Boimler. <laughs> I was cracking up with it. Yes. Like, oh my gosh, it's so bad. She laments because they're going to be ignored, and just like the captain, all because they're Cali class. Tendi, Rutherford, and Boimler all reassure her that everything will be fine if she trusts in Starfleet. And Mariner concedes, yeah. What? I don't feel that like Mariner gives in. Right. Yeah. Now, the lower deckers prepare a shuttlecraft, and Mariner says, oh, I gotta go check the port nacelle, but that's just an excuse. I feel like they always say something about the port nacelle, and then it's like, oh, haha, yes. it's just a distraction. <laughs> The door shuts behind her, and the Joshua tree takes off with Boimler, Tendi, and Rutherford inside, set on autopilot to Earth. Mariner reaches the Cerritos bridge and begins to activate the ship. The other three lower deckers appear on the bridge view screen, and Mariner tells her she's going to track down the Klingons who supposedly gave Captain Freeman the bomb and bring them back. And Mariner then deactivates the view screen, and the Cerritos leave base stock at Impulse. Board the Joshua tree, Boimler redefines where the shuttle thinks of as home so the auto nav leads them back to the cerritos not earth well done bongler thought that was good thinking but without atmosphere they're coming in for a rough landing yeah a little bit <laughs> yeah on the bridge of the cerritos mariner fights off the rest of the lower deckers as they attempt to dissuade her from stealing the ship Meanwhile, Starfleet <laughs> security becomes aware of the Cerritos making an unauthorized launch. Eh, just a little too late there, guys. Huh. Yeah, I love that they're just looking at it like, yeah, is that yeah. what's happening? <laughs> yeah, as he goes cruising past there. <laughs> the one was playing a video game, yeah. Yeah, but Rutherford successfully stops the Cerritos. Mariner admits defeat and agrees they should all return to Earth. The other lower deckers offered to her their support, but before full emotional catharsis can be achieved, Starfleet security confronts them. Mariner prepares to accept responsibility for stealing the Cerritos, but they're interrupted once again by the arrival of the incandescent extremophile. 
the aliens attached to the hollows of the Cerritos where they synthesize carbon, triggering a mass reproductive event. Of course. Of course. <laughs> Tandy demands a channel be opened to Starfleet security. Affecting a serious demeanor, Tandy asks that the Cerritos be left uninterrupted as a scientific survey of the extremophile mating is conducted. She explains that the Cerritos has a crew of only four because everyone else is grounded. The exception only exists because of this rare scientific event. Security states they're coming aboard. The lower deckers open the bay doors and leave the bridge. Security arrives to find a mess. Tendy says the endangered species need help transferring their gametes. Oh, my God. And they're facilitating as they study him. It's painful work, but there's no substitute for firsthand scientific data. (laughs) Security expresses their admiration for the work of the lower deckers are undertaking. They just need to know which commander ordered the mission, and they'll leave. (laughs) As we're watching them get zapped, and then we're (laughs) stuck inside the one. Bloof everywhere. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, God. So the lower deckers stammer to one another as they attempt to come up with an answer. But that's when Captain Freeman strolls in, accompanied by Admiral Freeman, Shax, and Dr. Ta'ana, all are in uniform. The captain states she has ordered the mission, and the security thanks her and welcomes her back before leaving. <laughs> Convenient. Mariner hugs the captain, getting spoof on her, and asks how she can be there instead of, be there instead of at court. The Admiral says the trial's over. Mariner asks what happened. And the captain explains, accompanied by static images and a montage, that this stuff is too upper decks for the show. <laughs> While Captain Freeman and her command crew were before a tribunal that seems to be including Admiral Janeway, Starfleet conducted her own secret investigation. An elite team led by Captain Captain Morgan, Captain, <laughs> Captain Morgan Bateman, learned of the packlet connection to a known data fabricator. The individual faked the incriminating footage of the Freeman scene in the beginning of the episode. Forger was captured by an elite team in the Romulan neutral zone. Oh boy, trying to show out of that. Then, an invasive mind melt performed by Tuvok revealed the identity of the bombers that led themselves. Pac-led. The plan was to bomb their own capital and frame Captain Freeman, but then use this as leverage to coerce the Federation into re- relocating them to a more resource-rich planet. Jesus, they are such children. Yes. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out how they were able to come up with that plan, because it seems way too complicated for the pac uh, Yeah. Probably well, started on a rerun or something. <laughs> <laughs> Mariner asked, who would have thought it would have all worked out? And the Admiral says, me, looking a little distraught. Yes. He points out that he told her from the start to trust the system, just like the other Lower Deckers did. Yeah, but you know what? If he knew and he would have been like, trust me, then right. maybe she would have listened. I, but just trust the no. system. No. <laughs> no. Captain Freeman says Mariner has to face consequences and sends Boimler, Tendi, and Rutherford to clean up the bay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> In her quarters, the captain and admiral lecture Mariner. She's dismissive, but her parents tell her she has one last chance to stay in Starfleet. Ransom will now be her direct commanding officer, and if he decides to discharge her from service, so be it. I was like, this got really serious, and I didn't like it. Yes, it did. (laughs) Did not like it. Especially when he's like, I'm your mommy now. I was like, I swear I thought he was going to say, I'm your daddy now, and her be like, oh. Yeah. No, don't say it that way. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile. Inappropriate. He's, he said it. He's the kind of guy that rips his shirt off all the time. Right. right. <laughs> you can't teach that to her. Oh, right, my God. Way, no, this is where you rip off your shirt. I'm not doing that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what do I look like? Brandy Chastain? <laughs> Meanwhile, the other lower deckers express their gratitude at being back home. They check FNN to see that they're all talking about the trial results. 
But Vant isn't reporting on the new top story. Instead, we get Gavin's rescue near the moons of Jupiter <laughs> with him screaming, No! Yeah. I'm the captain! <laughs> that would have been a bummer. Yeah. That's probably all for the best way that guy drives. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so all the news that's... Uh, we're going to get into some Easter egg. By the way, all the news that's fit to... For the Federation, ever since Deep Space Nine, we've known that the Federation has its own dedicated news service, with young Jake Sisko finding work as a journalist reporting on the Dominion War. But we'll get a more direct look at how the current events are disseminated in the universe during the first season of Star Trek Picard, when the Federation News Network is seen on monitors across Earth and beyond. Admiral Picard himself even sits down for a televised interview on FNN in the first series' first episode. Yeah, that went well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now Lord Dex is brought back to 24th Century News Channel to its third season as the premiere episode of Grounded opens with a news anchor of Sylvia Rant providing a recap of the events in the shocking season two finale. We see clips of the destruction of the Packlet planet and the accusation against Captain Freeman with a quick summation of the events to get viewers up to speed. The FNN logo first appears in the Short Treks episode Children of Mars. Hovering in the corner of the screen, just like any modern cable news network, where Chiron's providing more news across the Federation. Delico doesn't like fun. I don't think he ever did. No, <laughs> never. No, never. Although we don't get see him on screen, another news flash on FNN makes mention of one of the franchise's most polarizing captains, Edward Junko, played by Robocop and Total Recall star Ronnie Cox. As seen in the Next Generation episodes Chain of Command Part 1 and Part 2, Jellicoe is portrayed as a hardliner, and a mean-spirited and bull-headed commanding officer who pushes the Enterprise crew around. Yeah, he's a dick. Yeah. <laughs> over, the, over the years, though, opinions about Jellicoe have been split with some diehard Jella fanatics making a case that he may be the best captain in the fleet. Never. <laughs> so, in the Lower Deck Season 3 premiere, we get a word that Jellicoe is still around, making life miserable for others, and has been promoted to Admiral. Oh, I hope we see him now. Yeah. And FN News Chiron informs that it is no fun Jellicoe has banned the Zabulian sisters, a duo of future entertainers mentioned in the Lower Decks episode, we'll always have Tom Paris, from Active Duty Starship. Ah, In that episode, the noted the Zebulon, I said right, this thing, Zebulon sisters have performed their famous choo-choo dance aboard the USS Cerritos, but it doesn't sound like they're going to happen again anytime soon. Ah, At least not if Jellicoe has anything to say about it. Boo. <laughs> Oh, a little baseball royalty, too. If we watch all the different news flashes seen in the FNN Chiron, we get the word that the Buffalo Solar Knights eclipsed the London Kings in game one of the ELDS. That wasn't my favorite Deep Space Nine episode. All that baseball stuff that they kept trying to insert it. I'm like, ugh. It's right. Right, yeah. <laughs> this is a deep cut reference to the episode of The Next Generation and Deep Space Nine and the note to the state of baseball in the 24th century in the DS9 episode, if wishes were horses, we learned that the baseball died out the 2040s and the final World Series was played in 2042. We also discovered one of the biggest teams in the game back then was the London Kings, a member of the Planetary League as far back as 2019. Team star Buck Bokai, who apparently made his debut in 2015, eventually broke Joe DiMaggio's bonded 56th game hitting streak in 2026. <laughs> Joe wouldn't yeah. like that. It seems by the late 24th century, though, the sport has made a comeback, perhaps in part thanks to the popularity with the legendary Federation captain Benjamin Sisko, and that the Kings are once again contenders for a championship. Rutherford even suggests that Lower Decks gang take in a London Kings game themselves. Oh, hint, hint. Yep. Prior to the Lower Decks, Dratema was a fairly obscure game within the uh, Stratigma? Yeah, Stratigma. 
Stratigma, a fairly obscure game within the Star Trek universe, though it made a rather prominent appearance in one episode of Star Trek The Next Generation titled Peak Performance. That second city entry is the lone mention in the franchise in more than 30 years. In Peak Performance, it is introduced as a game played by only the most skilled and disciplined minds, including uh, a Zach Dorn named Serna Kolami, who visits the Enterprise for a series of war games that apparently consider such as Stratima, Grandmaster, Stratigma. <laughs> the game. Yep, that game. Eventually, however, the android commander Data plays them in a draw, and Zach Dorn strategist quits the game out of frustration. Did he throw it across the room? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, they were the things on his fingers, so he just kind of yes, like, threw those yeah, off. He, he was he mad. Pulled those off. And, and granted, we learned. Uh, Data, yeah. Data goes, I busted him up. <laughs> <laughs> and granted, we learned that Zach, Dorn, Zach Dorn's may be specifically suited for the game, as the news flash tells us that a six year old Zach Dorn. Has just become the youngest ever official Stratigma Grandmaster. Could this be the town now retired, Kol- uh, Kolrami? That remains to be seen. Well, as we continue on with the es- Easter eggs, Clemens makes a comeback. A lot of information flashes across the FNN Chirons. And our last bit of Breaking Federation news relates to a character Trek fans have been wondering about since 1987. In the Next Generation episode, The Neutral Zone, which also happens to be the season one finale, we meet LQ Sonny Clement, one of three individuals who entered suspended animation in 1994 when medical science couldn't cure their terminal ailment. The revived Clemens is a guitar-playing southern country music man. Unlike his two 20th century compatriots, however, he's perfectly happy with his new life 300 years after everything and everyone he once knew. In fact, he hopes to return to his musical career. According to FNN and Lower Decks, that's exactly what happens, though not without some unintended consequences. While anchorman Sylvia Font talks about the status of the Cerritos in space stock, we see a news headline informing viewers of a tragedy at the Sonny Clemens concert. According to the Chiron, a dozen teenage fans were injured in a stampede after a crowd rushed the stage. Hopefully nobody had to be chirogenically frozen to await treatment. Hoisted with his own Bacard, with <laughs> Captain Freeman looking at serious charges, Mariner sets out to assemble the Cerritos gang to help clear the captain's name. On Earth, her first task is to recruit Boimler, who's working in his family's vineyard. One of the gags here is that Boimler's family vineyard is used for making raisins, not much more exciting wine. Another running gag is all the women have hots for Boimler, and the purple-haired ensign sports a look that calls back to the next generation final all good thing. In the future segments of that epic series, Capper, an elderly Picard wears a get-up identical to what we see here, complete with the wide-brimmed straw hat, brown overalls, and diagonally cut tunic. Though it's not made clear if this is the 24th century vineyard uniform, it's a nice nod to one of the franchise's best episodes. And guess who's coming to dinner once <laughs> Once Mariner has Boimler on board with her plan to fight for her mother's innocence, they need to find the Cerritos, which is in a secure space dock. To help locate it, they'll need Rutherford, one of the few engineers who may have been kept aboard to dock the ship and might know where it is. When they find him, he's out to dinner at a famous Star Trek locale, the legendary Earth restaurant called Cisco's Creole Kitchen. Not just a nod to Deep Space Nine, Captain Benjamin Cisco, the restaurant is an in universe earth eatery that we've seen before in fact cisco's made its first on-screen appearance in a pair of episodes in season four of ds9 
Owned by Ben Sisko's father, Joseph, it's been around for decades, and Captain Sisko himself practically grew up in the restaurant. The Lower Decks premiere Grounded is the first time we've seen it since 1999 when it showed up in the final season of DS9. In this episode, the restaurant is identical to its previous appearance as the animation team evidently did a perfect job recreating its facade and interior. We even get a look at the alligator hanging from the ceiling mentioned in the DS9 episode Homefront. <laughs> These guys have a giant binder, too, just like my Oh, own. God, they oh had gosh. ten of them. <laughs> like, okay, what do we have to do? Let's go back. <laughs> Jem'Hadar Heat. Creole food, the cuisine of choice at Cisco's, is definitely known for spices and intense heat, and we learn just how hot things can get in Grounded. Sitting down for some chow in Cisco's Creole Kitchen, the four ensigns partake in some of the restaurant's specialties. During the scene, Boimler reaches for a bottle of hot sauce called Ketracel White Hot. That's an Easter egg that any true Trek fan should recognize, which obviously I do not. <laughs> As Ketracel White is the addictive compound that fuels the Jem'Hadar soldiers in the Dominion. Oh, okay. Yep. It was said in deep. Space Nine that Ketracel White was crafted by the founders as a way of maintaining an additional level of control over the Gem Hadar, as the soldiers could not live without regular doses of this drug. Here, however, we suspect Cisco's using the sauce as with the actual Ketracel White. They're just using the name, <laughs> and it's the latest so. Creole condiment. <laughs> yeah, because that would be really weird. Although. Yes. <laughs> Maybe the next time if we see them eat there again, it doesn't bother Boimler, then hmm, questions. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let's go to the first contact theme park. Oh, my God, that's so cheesy. Yes. Needing a way to get the Cerritos with all of Earth's transporters down, Mariner and the crew set out to visit historical Bozeman. I don't know. Every time I say that, I feel like, is it, though? It's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Having been there, it doesn't look like it does on... <laughs> More dicks, that's for sure. Okay. Different timeline. Yep. Where they hope to commandeer a ship designed to be the Orbital Kids Ride, which I think is even funnier. It's like, wait, this is a kids ride? And they're yes. doing it. <laughs> Based in Bozeman, Montana, at the site of the humans' first contact with the Vulcans, the site is one giant reference to the 1996 film Star Trek First Contact. We could write an entire article on the Easter eggs seen in the park, including the statue of Zephyr Cochran, referenced by Jordy in the film and the various musical cues taken from the movie. Balloon animals in the, at the park are shaped like the Enterprise, the Defiant, and the Vulcan landing craft from First Contact. Uh, Tendi points out that the Crash and Burn Bar, which appears at the same joint where Riker and Troy first met Cochran, as well as a First Contact fun zone constructed <laughs> to look like the Vulcan ship. One of my favorite parts of oh. that movie is... Uh... And Troy has a few too many drinks. Yes. <laughs> yeah, because it's totally different than what they're drinking on the Enterprise. Yeah, real liquor. Bootleg, or no, moonshine. That's yeah. what I want. <laughs> yep. That's a whole other thing. Of course, the centerpiece of historical Bozeman is the Phoenix, a replica of the ship used by Zephyr Cochran to test mankind's first ever warp drive. Here it is, a kitty ride. But it's nevertheless a functioning starship, and Mariner and the crew plan to steal it and take it to the Cerritos. But once aboard, they meet a holographic pilot fashioned after Cochrane himself. In the guest starring role, the hollow Cochrane, 
was voiced by none other than the legendary James Cromwell, who played him in First Contact. Again, they're getting, like, all these people back. (laughs) Crazy. This is the first time Cromwell has played the character since a brief cameo in the series premiere of Star Trek Enterprise back in 2001. While preparing for the flight, Cochran gives a two-fingered salute and a nod to Captain Picard's identical engaged gesture from the next generation. But before Hollow Cochran takes the ship out, he has to make sure to rock and roll and put the little green disc into the ship's computer, and we hear the thunderous roar of Stefan Wolf's magic carpet ride. This is no new gag, though, as it mirrors the scene from First Contact, where the real Cochran did the same thing, and one of the movie's funniest moments happened. Yes. And I feel like this is like running gag through, well, even the new Star War- or Star Trek films. Because we had the Beastie Boys playing. Right. And, mm. and like, is that classical? You know, so. Yeah. Yeah. This, this is happening more and more. But an all-star Starfleet team. After a rather complicated plan to free her mother proves fruitless, it's all revealed to have been unnecessary. As it turns out, Starfleet had already cleared Captain Freeman of all charges. During the trial, a covert ops mission led by Captain Morgan. Bateman, <laughs> Captain Morgan, is undertaken to investigate the allegations against her. Fans will know the name, even if it's been a while, as we've seen him briefly at the conclusion of the Next Generation's fifth season episode, Cause and Effect, played by Cheers star Kelsey Grammer. Okay, I did not realize that myself. Oh, yeah. Bateson is a Starfleet captain from the 23rd century who spends nearly 75 years in a causality loop and emerges in Picard's timeline. For the first time in canon, we learn that Bateson has returned to his captain's duties in the 24th century and has joined on the mission by Commander Tuvok, security chief of the starship Voyager. In the flashback to their mission, Grounded shows both officers in the DS9-style Starfleet Greys and the first time both characters have been seen in that uniform at all. Yeah. (laughs) That was a lot to catch up on and digest. Yes. (laughs) Absolutely it was. Now, of course, we didn't hear... Batson say anything or Tuvok, so yeah, just in uh, animation form. Not couldn't, couldn't get everybody, I guess. Yeah, for now, yeah, right? For now. for now, yeah. Doesn't for mean now. that they aren't <laughs> ever going to be back. That's for sure. Well, we'd love to hear your thoughts on each and every episode this season. Our deadline for feedback is 6 p.m. Eastern every Friday during the season. You can send your feedback via email or audio to contact us at fangirlzone.com. Please review and rate us on iTunes. Good ratings and reviews help the other fans of the show find us, as there are a lot of other Star Trek podcasts out there. Tell your friends, and I hope you like our podcast. And don't forget to check out the other great Fangirl Zone podcast featuring us. <laughs> <laughs> you can go over to www.fangirlzone.com, check out the contacts page. Yes, the site is being revamped because we crashed. So our contacts page works. What you see there is still working. So go check it out, especially the podcast page, because you can go check out all the other shows about Star Trek on the Captain's Chair with these two wonderful guys. Or other shows like, I don't know, Mudhorn Clan Cast or Star Power Hour, whatever. You know, check it out. There's a lot going on. If you need some help with the site, I know at least three or four people that are pretty good at cleaning up Sploof. You know, they could help you. <laughs> well, only if they're lower deckers because oh yeah, you know, they're not getting any extra. <laughs> <laughs> so the second episode is on September 1st. Can you believe it's almost September 1st? Yeah. And it's like, hurry up, it's too hot. It is titled the, the Least Dangerous Game. So until then, remember. This is Chief Engineer Steve. I want the trouble. Give me the trouble. 
I'm Sean Fangirl S. And no, hands-on experience is the best. And this is Redshirt Dave. Oh, Leanne, just spray yourself off with the hose. Also known as that, my big red dumb thing. <laughs> All right.